So the last time we were together, we began to take a look at Genesis chapter 3. And we got as far as verse 8. So this morning we will go ahead and finish out chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open there, we will go ahead and start reading again in verse 1. And uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us today. So Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, we'll pause right there, because just a reminder that we studied a couple weeks ago how the Bible points out that Satan is that serpent of old. And if you didn't hear that teaching, you can go and find it on our website. But this is Satan here that has approached Eve, and he is doing so through a serpent. And verse 2 says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I don't mean to reteach these verses that I've already taught, but something pops into my mind here as I read verses 2 and 3 again. And that is that Satan deserves no explanation from us. You see, the woman took the time here to explain the situation to Satan. But we need not even give Satan the time of day in our lives. Resist him, the Bible says, and he will flee from us. When Satan puts a thought in your head, for example, ignore him. Tell him what the Word of God says and then just walk away. Don't start a conversation with the disobedient thoughts that pop in your head. Okay, when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't give in to that temptation. Jesus simply stated the facts and he did not waver. Okay, but the woman here makes the mistake of listening to Satan and he continues to tell her in verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So no wonder that Satan is called the father of lies. Because till this very day, that is his specialty. That is his specialty in the minds of men and women to lie to us, to steal to kill, to destroy. Okay? But verse 6 goes on and says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 6. The woman took notice to three things here. First of all, the tree was good for food, okay? In other words, it would be satisfying to the flesh. Secondly, it was pleasant to the eyes. 
And thirdly, it was desirable to make one wise. Now, in the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, we are told that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this is exactly what we see captivating the woman here in Genesis chapter 3. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, people are led astray by what feels good to them, what tastes good, right? Mankind loves what looks good, and and we love to be wise in our own sight and in the sight of others. That's pride, right? The pride of accomplishment that makes people think that they are something. Maybe that degree that they earned, that certification that they got, that they think puts them in a certain position. Now, these things have clout in the world, if you will, and they're helpful in many ways, but they are not at all needed in the kingdom of God. And too often, they distract people from the things of God and keeping their focus on God. You see, we are to be led by the Spirit, not led by our own pride or our own achievements or the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, right? We are to empty ourselves and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 7 continues and says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, now again, we we studied all of that a couple of weeks ago, but picking it up now in verse 9 for our study for today, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So notice who God comes looking for. He comes looking for the responsible one, the one whom God created first and gave the commandments to. So Adam pops out of hiding, like I said about two weeks ago, and and verse 10 continues and says, So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So you see, with that statement there of Adam's, we know that Adam not only knows good, but he now also knows bad or evil, if you will, because he now understands what shame is. He was naked, so he hid himself. His eyes have been opened to shame now. You see, prior to man's disobedience, they had only the knowledge of good. And they lived with all the good things that God made for them, right? We studied in Genesis when God made everything, that he said it was good. But unfortunately now, everything has changed with this decision by mankind. And verse 11 continues and tells us that God replied to Adam. Okay? And it says in verse 11, And he said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Now, here we see something else that has taken place as a result of the fall. As a result of man disobeying God's word. Okay, Adam is here displaying his new nature, his fallen nature. He is passing the blame for something that was his responsibility. He's not taking responsibility here. Again, we know that God gave the commands of what to do and what not to do to the man and not to the woman. But the first thing that Adam does when he is confronted is he passes the blame on to the woman. God doesn't say anything here to Adam. He, he's just given them both a chance to speak. So he goes to the woman next. And in verse 13, it tells us, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so now we see the woman responds in the same way that Adam did. She's a blame shifter as well. But God is going to get to the bottom of it here. And he's first of all going to deal with the serpent. And we'll expound on that a little bit here. But verse 14 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Okay, So the Lord God here deals directly with the serpent. Okay, And we're talking about the physical serpent. He changes the body of this serpent. It seems that the serpent may have had legs like every other beast of the field, but God cursed the serpent to forever go around on its belly all the days of its life. So what we see taking place here is that creation is affected by the disobedience of man. The serpent was entered into by Satan, it was simply a creation of God that Satan used, but it too felt the effects of the fall. The creation is being affected here by man's sin. Now, this isn't the only time that a creation of God was affected by an evil spirit. If you mark this page, and turn into the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And looking down in verse 28. It is speaking of Jesus here. So hopefully you're all there. Matthew eight twenty-eight. And speaking of Jesus, it says, When he had come to the other side, to the country of Herasimus, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. 
So these are men in the flesh, okay? These are physical men that are there. And they're hanging out in the graveyard because they're being tormented, okay? By the, they're, they're demon-possessed. But what these demons through these men are doing is tormenting people that are passing by that way. But now, all of a sudden, along comes Jesus. And verse 29 says, And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So you see, what's taking place here is these demons know the deal. They know that they have a day coming in the future when their leader, Satan, and all of his demonic forces will be done away with, like we studied in Revelation. But unfortunately for these demons, they have an early encounter with Jesus, the Son of God. And they know that their days of possessing these two men has come to an end. And Matthew tells us in verse 30, Now a good way off from them was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. So this is another example of an animal being entered into by evil spirits. So what we see taking place in the garden with the serpent is not strange in the spiritual world, okay? And it's important, though, that we understand that since the fall of mankind, since the day of man's disobedience to God's instructions, all of creation has been messed up as a result. Hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes. These are not acts of God. They are results of the fall. Murder, rape, stealing, looting, violence, starving children, sickness and disease. All of these stem from the fall of mankind. God made a perfect place for mankind. Yes, Satan was there. But all that man had to do was to be obedient to God. That's the answer. Obedience. That's what God wants from us. And it's no different today. Yes, we still live in a fallen world. And yes, there is still sickness and disease and death and such for our physical bodies. But God has provided a remedy for man, for our souls. He has given us the answer. Jesus is the answer. He has come to the earth to do the will of the Father, and that is to redeem mankind by His shed blood. And right now we live in a period of time where God has given mankind a chance to return unto Him. Come back into fellowship with God. And he's provided the way by his grace. He's provided the way. And Jesus is the way. But man has a choice 
just as mankind had from the very beginning. And the choice is to, by faith, receive Jesus. Believe on Him. Or, of course, the other choice is to disobey the Word, to disobey the Gospel, and to walk in the way of sin and continue to heed the voice of Satan, the father of lies. You see, Satan is the one that wants to blind the eyes of people, lest the glorious light of the gospel shine upon them. That's his number one goal, to get people to think all kinds of things about God, that God's responsible for this and God's responsible for that, and if there's a God, why this? When it's sin that is to blame and the choice of mankind to walk in sin. And again, God has provided us that remedy for that sin that so easily besets us, right? That thing that weighs us down and keeps us from fellowshipping with God. And the answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. But as we turn back now to Genesis chapter 3, again, God's creation was affected by the fall. And it started with the serpent. Okay? First one to be cursed. But in verse 15, God will address Satan. So Genesis 3, 15. God's going to address Satan here. The one who was behind it all. The one who is the father of lies, who entered the serpent and spoke with the woman. And in verse 15, the word says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now there's some key things to notice, especially as I read from the New King James Version here Uh, For example, the word seed is capitalized in in the second time it's used. And we see the word he and his capitalized, okay? Because this is where Genesis really gets, uh, I guess what you could call deeply theological, but it's really just something to think on. Because God is telling the serpent, right, the physical creation, the snake, if you will. I mean, he's not telling the serpent that there's there's going to be a problem between him and the woman, though most men and women don't like being around snakes. I say most. I know some of you do. But God is addressing Satan here. Again, that serpent of old, as we saw him referred to in Revelation. The woman, or womankind, if you will, will, of course, be the one to carry children in the womb and to give birth to all human beings. And of course, a woman will give birth to the Messiah, the Savior. But you know, while I bring that topic up, and today being Mother's Day, let me just say that mothers are a wonderful blessing to the human race. Women are a wonderful creation of God, as are men. But all women should see themselves as such. And if you're a woman, you're a young girl, young lady, whatever, and you're listening to this and you don't see yourself as such, 
You really should, because that's how God sees you, as a wonderful creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. And you mothers out there on this Mother's Day that that do so much and have done so much for your children, know that it was all worthwhile. And just continue to pour love into your children and continue to point them to God, our Creator, and to their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And we know that women in general, again, whether mothers or not, are wonderful creations of God. And this is a, but being a mother is a blessed role that women perform here on this earth, whether by birth or by adoption. A mother is a special blessing to a child and to our world. And I know it's hard for mothers and fathers as well, but I know it's difficult when your children grow up and they leave the nest, so to speak, and they go off and they find their own way in life. It's, it's kind of hard to, to land back on your feet after pouring so much of your heart into raising that child. But again, just know how blessed you are to have been able to pour into that child. You see, God has placed in the heart of women that desire to nurture and, and care for a child. And, and mothers do indeed pour their whole hearts into this endeavor. And you know what? The Bible doesn't just prescribe just one day to honor your mother, one time a year. The Bible prescribes every day alike when it comes to this. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus reiterated something that Moses said in the law. Honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 tell us, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So, yes, we do take this day and we make it a special day to to recognize mothers. But every day should be a day in your heart and in your actions where you honor both your mother and your father. So that's my Mother's Day sermon for today. But back on to our topic here in verse 15, you know. So womankind that was created by God in the beginning will go on someday and, as I said, be used to to bring the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, into the world. And, And Jesus will be the one that's going to reverse the curse, if you will, that we see here. He's going to put an end to sin and death. And of course, Satan tried to destroy Jesus even from the time of his birth. And of course, Satan did go on to bruise the heel of the man Jesus, but Jesus ultimately crushed his head, as verse 15 tells us. So God gives us a picture here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, of the fact that the woman will give birth to the one that will put an end to the one that was the cause of sin. Did you follow what I said? See, Satan was the cause of sin that messes up everything good. But Jesus is the one that on the cross put an end to sin and by his resurrection put an end to death. Praise be to God for His Son, 
Jesus. You see, we no longer need to be dead spiritually. We no longer need to be listening to the father of lies. Yes, he will tempt us. Yes, he will pop into our minds this thought or that thought. But we must ignore him. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Because if you've been born again, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things become new. And Genesis 3.15 gives us an insight on what was to come. In other words, we're studying history right now, right? We're studying the creation, right? We're studying the beginning of mankind. But Genesis 3.15 speaks of a future time which was to come and which we know already has come. And verse 16 continues. And God still speaking says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Okay, so... The serpent was cursed by God for its involvement in all of this, right? Creation, again, was affected. Satan's judgment was pronounced for his involvement. He was going to be crushed someday by Jesus. And now the woman, or womankind, if you will, gets her punishment. And still to this day, there is pain in childbearing. This is a well-known fact, right? You see, disobedience has consequences. Keep that in mind. There was disobedience in the garden. And disobedience having consequences, that fact holds true for us today. Every time we make a bad choice, we see consequences, don't we? But we also see there that the woman's desire shall be for her husband. You see, it's a natural part of womanhood to desire a husband. That's what God created a woman for, so that man would not be alone, right? In the beginning, God made one man for, one woman, excuse me, for one man. Today, though, as a result of the fall, it's it's not that easy in our world, is it? Women still long for a husband, but... Many young women worry that they will never find one. And this longing brings forth worry and stress in many cases. And you know, mothers worry for their daughters as to whether their daughter will ever marry or not. And some daughters marry and some daughters don't. That's the way it is in our world today. But we also see in verse 16 there that A result of the fall was that the husband will rule over the woman, that is, his wife, right? And if a woman is not walking in the Spirit, and she's not understanding the whole counsel of the Word of God, you know, hearing that kind of thing will make a woman mad today. What? A man's going to rule over me? No, he isn't. (laughs) But when we understand the whole counsel of the Word of God, We understand the love of God. We find out that God in His great love 
and in His mercy gives us instructions on how we should function both as husbands and as wives. He gives a perfect order in the Word of God. You see, because men, if they follow the Word of God and they're obedient to the Word of God, they will love their wives in the way that Christ loved the church, His body of believers. Okay, They won't rule with an iron fist. They won't put the woman under their thumb. They will love their wife as Christ loved the church. This is the way the Word of God describes it to us. And then a woman, in their love for God, if a woman is submitted to God, she will submit to the leading of the husband. And she will be glad to do so if he's a man of God who loves her. I did a whole teaching on this topic about three weeks ago. Well, we were going verse by verse through the Bible still, but it's it's in Genesis. Uh, if you look on our webpage, you can go back and listen to it. It's um, titled, Marriage is Honorable. You can go back and listen to that. So I'm not going to expound on all of that right now. But here we are seeing the consequences of man's disobedience. And we continue on in verse 17 where it says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So Adam listened to his wife rather than obey God. Don't do that, men. I mean, you can listen to your wife, and you should listen to your wife, but not if it's contrary to the Word of God. This should be the order of our lives, both male and female. Let the Word of God rule in your homes. Men, submit to the Word of God and lead your wife by it, in accordance with it, and your children. Women, let your husband be led by God. You are not to spiritually rule over him, but he, in God's order, is to spiritually rule over you. Again, I'm talking about a man, and let me clarify this, because I'm talking about a man that is a godly man who understands the Word of God and actually lives it, and is a man that you know, Jesus, when, when he came to the earth, people were attracted to him. They wanted to be around him. And if a husband is loving his wife the way that he should be, the wife will love being around him. He won't be driving her away. But women, encourage your husband to be a man of God's word. Respect him in this position. Let him know your need for him to be a leader in the home. Men are most often task-oriented, and a home works well when his leadership is not tread upon by his wife. Okay, this, this is why the biblical order for love and submission is the best prescription for a godly home. Again, if you go back and 
listen to the teaching on Genesis chapter 2, you'll see where we discussed how a woman is not less than a man as a creation, but God's order in a marriage and in the home is that the husband will take the spiritual lead in accordance to the Word of God. Then Christ is the example to the husband on how he should lead with love. And Christ is an example to the wife on how to submit with love. Again, it's not complicated, nor is it chauvinistic, but it's actually the greatest kind of love that can be in a home. But here in verse 17, we see that the man did wrong by not obeying God, irregardless of what his wife had to say. His excuse was to blame his wife, but that excuse didn't hold water before God because Adam was responsible. The man was the responsible party that, were, that was given the commands of God in the beginning, right? And the man himself was not cursed, but his work was cursed. His job to, to tend to the production of this earth was now going to be hard. Work will now be something that is just not quite as pleasant as it might have been. You know the word toil there in verse 17 is translated as sorrow in the King James Version. Again, I read from the New King James Version. But it's the same Greek word used in verse 16 where we see the word sorrow used to describe the woman's childbearing. So the woman gets sorrow in her childbearing and the man gets sorrow in his work now because of sin. Because everything's changed. And these are the consequences. Think of the word sorrow as as being pain and laborious, because that's what it means. A man's work is labor-intensive, and a woman's delivery of a child is labor-intensive. And even if you're a man that don't have this physical job where you're out digging ditches, maybe you're sitting behind a desk, whatever it may be, it's still hard work. It's still hard to care for your wife, to care for all your children. But it's what we have to do now in this life. And it's what we are supposed to do now as men. And as women, we should be appreciative of what the man is doing. And now I know women are working as well. Women are out working as well and taking on a lot of stress and all that. And that's the way it is in our day day and age. Again, I'm just presenting to you what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, and again, how this order should be in our homes. And if we're men submitted to God and if we're women submitted to God, then we will desire to live in this orderly fashion that God prescribes in His Word. Okay, Again, things don't always work out in this fallen world. There's divorce, there's heartache, there's pain, there's there's bad behaving men and bad behaving women and On and on it goes, right? But what we are to do as born-again believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, is fix our attention on the Lord Jesus and be obedient to His Word and live in accordance with it, okay? But let's move on here. In regards to the man tending to the earth, verse 18 says, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. In other words, it's going to be hard to work for your food. Okay? For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. So, again, the curse 
It was a punishment for disobeying God's word. Sin entered the picture, and it brought forth hard times for many years to come. The normal functions of life, such as childbearing and work, were going to be hard, were going to be laborious. Sin also brought about death, just as God said it would. He told Adam in regards to that tree, right, that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And here we see in verse 19 that death was pronounced upon mankind. Now, as we live in this current state, right, we, we will not live forever in these bodies of death. God didn't make us to die. He made us to live and be in fellowship with him. But when sin entered the picture, man's, again, I keep telling you that sin is man's disobedience to God's word here. Death came along as a result of that. Sin caused us to be sentenced to hard labor and ultimately death. But as it pertains to sin, of course, we now know the rest of the story, don't we? We know that God did something about it. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that Christ died to redeem us. We know that there is a way back to God now. And Jesus provided that way. Jesus is the way. But what we are studying here again is the history of mankind from God's word. And let's go ahead and finish out the chapter here. And verse 20 says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Again, I will stress the importance of a mother here. She gives life to this earth, okay, to the people of this earth. God has designed her in such a way that she is a blessing upon the earth. The Hebrew word for Eve is the word Hava, and it's a word that means life or living. Life is a precious gift of God. The woman is the one whom God created to bring this life upon the earth. So again, honor your mother, not just today, but every day. For in so doing, it will be well with you, and you will be living in accordance with the word of God and the will of God for your life. Now, I did a topical teaching about eight years ago to a group called MOPS, which stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. And if you're interested, it is on our website at aloveoutreach.com under our topical teaching section, and it's called A Mother's Blessing, okay? And it's just about 30 minutes long, and it's some words of encouragement for mothers. But verse 21 continues and says here, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, we're not told how God made the tunics of skin here, but it seems as if there had to be an animal sacrificed in order for Adam and Eve to be covered. 
You see, their sin was the cause for this sacrifice that had to take place. For they now had the knowledge of shame, right? They knew sin now. They, they, they didn't just know good. They knew both good and evil. And though at this point I'm not going to do a teaching on the topic of this sacrifice and how it relates, but think about how a sacrifice had to be made here in order to cover sin. All the way back here in the beginning of time, in the book of Genesis, as it is recorded, right? Sin happened, right? Man sinned, and a sacrifice was necessary. And of course, today we know that Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb of God that has once and for all covered sin. And in order to do so, he was sacrificed. He sacrificed his body. He hung, he bled, and died. That's just something to to think about and something to study more upon. But verse 22 goes on and says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So stop right there. Because God had to do something here. As I mentioned a few weeks back, God did not intend for man to live forever in this body of sin. But he didn't create us in sin. And we wouldn't have the issue of death if not for sin. But now that man has sin, God does not want us to live forever in these bodies of death. So God had to do something to keep man from eating of the tree of life. Man was already eating from the tree of life up till this point. The only tree that man was not permitted to eat from in the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not told in Scripture that man was not allowed to eat of the tree of life. He was allowed to eat from that tree. God had no problem with man eating of the tree of life before sin, right? And man was intended by God to live on. But after sin, God in his great love didn't want us to live forever in these bodies that have the effects of sin. Right? There are all kinds of imperfections to these bodies of ours. All kinds of diseases and sickness can attack these bodies today. And all because sin entered the picture all those years ago. Now don't get me wrong here. You're not a you're not in it doesn't mean you're in sin if you get sick. That's ridiculous. You're you get sick because we live in a fallen world. And we still live in that fallen world. And Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. Okay? But be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And someday he's coming back to get us. But here we see that a loving God had to, to do something about this. And he says, let's get man out of the garden so they don't continue to eat of the tree of life. And verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man and he placed him, he drove out the man and he placed him, placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, we know from Revelation, which we've studied recently, that one day we will eat of the tree of life again. 
in heaven, right? But for now, we are in these bodies of death until the Lord returns to take us home. At that time, we will receive our new bodies. If we have come to faith in Christ and we die today, we will be absent from the body and our soul will be present with the Lord. Someday, when Christ returns, we will then receive that new body, one that God originally intended for us to have, one in which we will live forever in, and we will eat from the tree of life again, which is in heaven. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? But for now, it's a blessing that God did not punish us to live forever in these bodies that have the effects of sin. Right? People are in wheelchairs. People suffer with pain of various sorts. There are cancer diagnoses, right? There's all kinds of things that happen to us in these bodies. But God is so loving that he knew that the best thing for man in this falling condition was to get man away from the tree of life and then to one day redeem us by himself becoming flesh and going to the cross and dying on that cross and taking away the power of sin and death. And today, if you are a born-again believer, you walk by faith in all of this. And that's what we're called to do, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. But you know, mankind today still has a choice to receive the gift of eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus, again, is the only way. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. No other name. Jesus is the only way. And faith in Jesus is the way to eternal life. We will again be able to eat from the tree of life. And we will live forever. It just won't be in these bodies. And someday we're going to have to shed this body. We're going to have to leave it behind. God bless Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you, God, that you have given us of your word, Lord, to instruct us and to lead and to guide us through this life and to correct us and to rebuke us where necessary, Lord. We thank you for your holy word, Lord. I pray that we all will continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, Lord. Thank you for your blood that you shed, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we have eternal life and our hope is in you. And today we walk by faith in that fact, Lord. We see, Lord, and we know from your word that we have a choice, even still. A choice to remain walking in sin or a choice to repent and to turn from our sin and to seek God above all else. That is your desire for us, Lord, and that is your will for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we go forth into another week, that you will lead and guide us through it, and that you will show us the areas in our lives where we need to die to our fleshly nature all the more, Lord, that we would take up the cross and follow after you. 
that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, we thank you for this time and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.